The Over the Bonnet podcast is brought to you by Merrymark Medical, Gimpy Foam and Rubber and NICAD Earth Moving. My guest today is a tireless worker for the community and has raised thousands for chemotherapy treatment in the Gimpy area. Marlene Owen has been recognised with an OAM for her charity work and it's a pleasure to have her in the studio today as we go Over the Bonnet. Over the Bonnet with Mark Peepers. <laughs> well, well, at least the guests are good. You'll never know what happens with the conversation when it's Over the Bonnet. <laughs> You're kidding me, aren't you? Marlene Owen, thanks for joining us on Over the Bonnet. Mark, thank you so much for inviting me. Okay, what started it all? Firstly, I volunteered for many years at the hospital for, with cancer patients. Um, before I started to um, help at the units, my girlfriend passed away from a very rare stomach cancer and I used to help take her to Brisbane every day of the week. She used to do her treatment in Brisbane four days a week. We were not doing treatment here in Gympie at the time. Um, and then it was two years into her treatment that the Gympie Hospital started to do their chemo up there. And so she, we then, our trips going to Brisbane stopped. It's a horrible journey to be on because chemo makes some people extremely sick and some just breeze through it. But she, unfortunately, was a person that was very sick. So you'd spend the entire time going down and back with her with her head in a bucket. It's not a nice thing, um, but unfortunately it was a journey she had to take. So then I started going and sitting with her at the chemo unit while she went through her treatment in Gympie. And then... I used to volunteer at um, Choice Support, and one of my 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 friends he he also was diagnosed with cancer, so I went with him on his journey um, through cancer. And on his dying bed, he asked me, "Would I please um, help and volunteer up there?" Because I used to um, bit of a nut, and I used to have them laughing and joking. A and bit of a nut. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a nut. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that was where it started, and then we moved from the small unit that we were in into the bigger unit because, sadly, more and more people every day are being diagnosed. And we, I seen a need to start fundraising there because Queensland Health didn't have the money. And if you remember, Mark, you did our first gala ball. You were our compare, and out of that gala ball, we actually managed to you managed to get us three chairs for the for the um, they're called cannulation chairs for the chemo unit. Each chair it was at that time seven thousand dollars a chair. So, with your help, we purchased three chairs, and then we went from there and we purchased a lot of equipment that went into the Gimby Hospital, and then we also purchased for the private hospital at the time as they were also doing the cancer treatment up there. That's where it started and from there, the amount of people that were coming from out of town and finding it extremely difficult to get home was where the units come involved. Um, so yet again, we had quite a few gala balls, as you know, you've been to them. And um, yes, so that's where it all started. It was interesting because I only played a very small part and came into it a little bit. But one of the things that did um, really make me sit up and take notice was the amount of people that were working behind the scenes. 
and were really doing their bit. There's so many people that were involved in this project. Oh, yes, Mark. It's not just one person. There's multiple people. And I'm grateful to all those volunteers every day. It's amazing how people will put their hand up and offer to volunteer. So I never say no to any volunteers, as you're aware. You did that voluntary. <laughs> so, yes, lots of them. Well, I think I was going to get paid at first. And, I, and then I saw the amount of work that everyone was doing and they were all giving their time. It was like I couldn't... I couldn't take money because as I say I knew the cause that it was going to. Mm, that's exactly right. So you managed to buy three chairs, what effect did they have? Um, it, they're amazing Mark, uh, a cannulation chair if, if, a, if, if a patient happens to go into cardiac arrest or a failure or become un sick or something you can lay that chair down and you can work on that patient while they're in that chair, they're comfortable They've got very big armrests, so they make it more comfortable for the patient to just sit there to try and relax. Is as it something that really has made a difference? Yes, it has. They have. I think they have nine chairs there. I think in the end we bought about five at the five or six at the Gympie Hospital, and then Queensland government. We shamed the Queensland government <laughs> into eventually buying um, the rest of them. But we did. We bought um, computers and we bought. Um, a big photocopying machine and we bought TVs for above all the cannulation chairs for the patients to watch TV if they're just sitting there so yes Tell us about the reaction that you got from people that knew you were doing this sort of work Oh, the reaction, amazing at first um, a lot of people told me I was silly because that's Queensland Health should do all this but after speaking with Patty Scott on, on numerous occasions, um, I realised Queensland Health only do what they have to do. So, hence we, the people of the towns, decide that it's we've got to do it ourselves. And that was one of the things that I really noticed was that there's so much fundraising that goes on in this town. It really is a special area as far as fundraising and community work goes. Oh, yes, Mark. Extremely. We're one of many um, voluntary organisations that give to the community. Um, but at the, in the other hand, the community give to us like you wouldn't believe. I can be down the street, walking up the street, and somebody will stop and hand me $20. Um, put that to use, please, Marlene. So, you know, we have a very generous community. It's one of the most generous communities that I've come across after travelling all over Australia. That That's one of the things that really struck me is the generosity. Mm -hmm. And it couldn't have happened without that generosity either. So do other people benefit from outside the area? Oh, extremely. Most of our patients come, the ones that stay in the unit, most of them are from out of town. Because if you're in town, you know, you can go home after your, your treatment. But when you've come from Gamery, Mergen, Sherberg, Tin Can, Rainbow Beach, Kalula, sometimes you're unwell. And you, if you have a three or four day treatment, it's just much better for you to stay there free of charge to the cancer patient and um, so it's much better for your safety and your health to stay there while you're going through your treatment. These units that you're talking about, tell us about how they came about and how they're now operating. There's five units and a caretaker's unit and a huge common room. Um, they come about because 
I, on, a, on quite a number of occasions, had to drive people home after their treatment to Gamery, Mergen, and I, had a, I have also gone to Sherberg um, to take these people because they were too sick to get home and not always could they find a bed in the hospital. So that's when I decided that I had better do something because I couldn't have these people travelling the road. It's a long way when you're unwell. You know yourself if you don't feel a million dollars and you're in a car bumping along thinking, oh my goodness, how much longer will this be? Well, I witnessed that with my girlfriend on how uncomfortable and how sad it was to sit beside her and watch her for two and a half hours those times it used to take us. And it's a very long two and a half hours. It takes more out of you than, a, than you wish it to. So that's when I decided that these people need something to um, help them on this horrible journey they have to travel. It must have been a big effort though to get the uh, money together and also the people together to build these units. What happened there? Um, I decided I'd never done anything like this before. I, I like to put my hand up to help, but I'd never done anything to this extreme. Um, I went to I went and spoke to a couple of people about how I should go about it and they decided I should call a public forum. To that I did. Um, and I had all of the Lions Clubs, Rotary, Apex, all of those. I sent invitations to all of those organisations along with our mayor and all our councillors and um, to the local community. And that night we had 123 people turn up to um, just hear what I had to say, which was pretty daunting because I'd never spoken in public before in my life and it was like, oh my goodness. And all by, by that night, we had formed a committee and we started and we haven't stopped. So we just continue today to fundraise to keep those units going so these people can have the best care possible for them. So, you know, it's not, it wasn't an easy task, but our late Mayor Ron Dine, I'll never forget that man in my entire life. Uh, that man was put into to um, the mayor's position two days and I hit him with <laughs> <laughs> with Mr Mayor you don't know me but by the time you're finished you will my name's Marlene Owen and I'm here because I want a block of land and he and he looked at me and said oh yeah and and what would you like it for I said I want to build chemo units for I want to build units for chemo patients oh so he sat there and he said tell me more and within about an hour, he said, oh well, sounds great. And I decided, while talking to him that day, I thought, I don't think this man believes we've got a lot of money behind us. So the next day, up I went again with our bank statement to show him that we had money, that we could, if he gave us land, we could start to build units. How much money did you have at that stage? Um, we had about 300,000 in the bank at that stage. I knew it wasn't going to be all we needed to build the units, which I knew we would have a long, hard slog with getting the money together. Um, and then I told Ron Dine at the time that um, I'll be back every day until you get me a block of land. <laughs> that poor man, there wasn't a day that didn't go by for two and a half weeks. I went to the mayor's office. And his secretary at the time would say, she's back again. 
And I'd say, I told you I'll be back until I get that land. Well, it took him three and a half weeks. And he found, he took me, he rang me one day and he said, Miles, would you like to come and have a look at land? Well, I tell you what, <laughs> just as well as there was no police around that day because I'd have been booked. Because I got there within five minutes. I was at his office. Yeah. And I run in and I said, come on, my car's outside waiting. And um, he said, oh, but what about my car? I said, no, mine's on, ready, waiting. So out he came and got in my car and he took me in th- and he showed me three lots of land and um, never built anything in my life. So I didn't have a great deal of idea of what I was looking at. But anyway, I looked at some and some were very steep and I just said, I think they'd need a lot of um, earthworks, wouldn't they, Ron? And he said to me, I think so, girl. Um, and the last block that he took us to, where is the units are now built, it was quite flat. And I said, oh, that'll save us some money. We won't have to waste that money in earthworks. No, he said, that's about right. Within two weeks, it was signed, sealed and delivered on a peppercorn donation every year. So we were extremely fortunate that Ron done what he done. Well, it was quite sad in the end that he ended up succumbing to cancer. Exactly. You know, so mm. it just goes to show how it does affect everyone in some mm. way in the community. Yes. And I was extremely fortunate, and I call it extremely fortunate, Mark, that I got to spend them last weeks with Ron before he passed. So, yeah. Did he have anything to say in retrospect in those last weeks? Um, yeah, that... Can I say that he told me I was a pain in his rear end? (laughs) But but then he did say to me, but in the end it was a good pain. (laughs) So that was one bonus. Well, that's good. There needs to be more Marlenes in the world and and in the community. And you've been recognised for um, what you've done in the the honours list. Yes, Mark, I have, but I only accept that on behalf of all volunteers, plain and simply because I'm only one. And I have some tireless volunteers that work tirelessly behind the scenes that, with a phone call, they're there to help. So I accept that on behalf of all volunteers. But it was an absolute privilege and an honour, but something I don't, I don't look forward for in my life. Never have and never would. I just like to do what I like doing. How did you feel though when you were recognised? Oh my goodness. Um, When I got the phone call from the Governor General, I will tell you, he rang and he said who he was and I said, oh yeah, and I almost said, I'm Mickey Mouse. (laughs) And then I stopped and I thought, who did he say he was? And then I said, could you repeat that to me please? And he did. And I said, and what do I owe this phone call? And he said, I'm ringing to, to tell you, you have been um, selected as an OAM. I said, a what? He said, an OAM. I said, and what is that? What does that entail? He said, it entails nothing. But he said, it's an honour and a privilege. And he said, and I'm so happy to tell you you've received it. I said, oh, my goodness. I didn't, I, I didn't put in for this. I don't. I don't do things like this. He said, you didn't put in for it. Somebody else has nominated you. I said, can I refuse it? He said, no. (laughs) So that was, oh, yes. 
Do you know who nominated you in the? I have a fair idea. It was I. I have a fair idea that it's Dulcy Dine. Never has she acknowledged that she did, but I just think that it was Dulcy. Because look, since Ron's passing, Dulcy has been a, a treasure more than you would ever know. They, she still is our patron for SCIC, um, and the things that Dulcy does for me um, is incredible. Like. Every time she does something, she'll say, yes, Ron, I know you told me not to get tangled up with this woman because she'll have you do some <laughs> stupid things. And I have. But she does it. So, yeah. I saw her just the other day, actually, and um, she's looking really, really well. Yes, she is. So, okay, well, let's go on to back to the units. A lot of people must have got round to helping just build these things. Oh, yes. Hatondo Homes, absolutely amazing. If I was to build another home, they would be my first call. Um, Chris went out of his way to do what we wanted. Um, he worked each unit as we could afford it. And um, before we done this units without any government funding. So it was over a million dollars that we raised out of this community to put those units together. Do you and think there should have been government funding? Oh, there should be. Honestly, should be. Because I personally believe the government should be doing these things to help the people out themselves without us having to do it. But I'm glad we've done it, Mark. So, And we can put our hand up and say, the government didn't do it. We did it. The community of, of Gympie and Kalula and the outlying areas, we did it. So you're talking about uh, one unit was built at a time. Tell us about that process. Um, I Every time I'd, I used to sit down the street, do raffles, and I used to do gala balls, Melbourne Cups, you name it, bus trips and everything to make this money. The moment I knew there was some money in the bank, I'd ring Chris and he'd say, you got some more money, Miles? i say, yep. <laughs> so then off they'd go again. It did take us um, three months to finalize these units and and at the end of the day three months really isn't a long time when you're building five units a caretaker's room kit unit and a common room so it was a marvelous effort from the builders the i do know that chris um he talked to all his suppliers and a lot of his suppliers come on board with uh, the goods that went in them units um TSR, Tony Stevens, they put in all of the air conditioners in every room, in the common room and the free of charge. Um, electrician, he only charged us for his time, nothing else. It was amazing what people done when they found out what they were there for. And how are they going these days? How's the reaction to people that actually get to use them? Um, they think it's amazing. At the moment, There's we, have, we haven't had a few we haven't had people we have we have a family there at the moment but we haven't had because of this COVID virus it has frightened a lot of people so a lot of them are having their treatment and just going straight home and that saddens me to think they're on the road when they're not well but it will happen it will they will come back but before this COVID virus um there wasn't very many weeks where these units didn't have people in them so they're utilised. And what was the reaction, the average reaction of people that do get to use them? Fantastic. It's like a little home away from home. 
um, and the fact that they could have their treatment, come back to the units, relax, just sleep, because a lot of them will after their treatment, um, and just get ready for the next day. It also, I suppose, takes away a lot of the pressure of the uh, of the treatments because, as you say, as you, as you've seen, it can't be a uh, fun experience to go through for anyone. Definitely not. Um, look, some people breeze through it, if I could say that for a better word. Um, others are extremely sick, extremely unwell, and if only you could take a little bit of that pain from them, it would be amazing. But it's the journey they have to go. So where to from here? You've built the units and you continue to fundraise to keep them operating. Where to from here? What are you What are you hoping to do with it? Um, look, if the need comes, and I hope it's not in my time, but if it does, if we need to build more units, we will then build more new units. But it's not the only project I do, Mark. I do quite a few. Okay, well, tell us about some of the other projects because you've obviously had all this time working on these units and then must have left a real void once once they were actually uh, once they were finished how did you feel then oh overwhelmed was the first feeling is oh my gosh when I turn around and look at the units I go oh wow look what we've all achieved with a lot of hard work but we've achieved it and our first our the first week we were opened our, we had three rooms full in the first week that we opened wow and rondine was was had had not been diagnosed at that stage and um he came over to meet those people when i rang him because i rang him and i said oh my goodness we got people in the units and that day he came over to meet them and told them you know how what a wonderful thing it was that these places were already being utilized so he often used to pop over to see these patients and have a little chat and it was just amazing what Ron put into this community and into our units. Well, also yourself. Now, you're also putting into other other projects. There's a new project you've got on the horizon. Oh, yes. I have two new projects on the horizon. I'm... Um, surprise, surprise, <laughs> surprise. Well, I feed the homeless of a night time and I'm in the middle of trying to get some more land from the council yet again to build something to home our house, our homeless people, to get them off the streets, get them out of this cold weather, and just give them give them back some dignity. And we also have some psych workers, health workers, and all those sorts of people that are going to come on board because they need a little bit of support and help. So we're hoping to get that up and running this year, and. Um, and hope these people can get back to some normality in their life. What's the process to get it up and running? What are you hoping to do? Uh, hoping, well, we're looking at the moment at a, a big shed, like a shed, and then we put kitchen, showers, toilets, um, bathroom, ba um, toilets, showers, toilets, a kitchen, and um, some sleeping areas so they can, you know... Um, it's very interesting to talk to a homeless person. Not every homeless person has a good story behind why they're homeless. So of a night time I sit and talk to them on, you know, if they want to share their story, it's absolutely amazing, some of their stories. It's sad on the reasons why some of them are there. Yes, there is a few that choose to be homeless, but they know nothing else. 
What's the reaction from people that are homeless in the area that you're putting something like this together? What's, in general, their reaction being if you're talking to them every night? Oh, they are so forward to looking to this happening. They often say to me, any further? We're going any further? <laughs> and, you know, it's been 12 months and a long 12 months because there's a lot of hurdles we've got to... We can't just build it because we have to put in place where we have health workers and that to come in to help these people to get back to a normal life. And we want to have all that in place before we start doing anything else. So, yeah, many meetings, and but it is coming together and it's absolutely wonderful. It's again a common theory, though, isn't it? Not something that the government should be funding or at least partially funding. If you look down that... Uh, avenue to try and get money from state, federal governments to try and put these things together? Yes, we have. I've had a few meetings with Tony Perrot. I've also had a few meetings with Lou O'Brien. But at the moment, there doesn't seem to be a lot of funding around for such projects. But I'm a pretty persistent person, so (laughs) I will hammer my way until we get what we want. How much money is needed for this particular project? Um, at our last meeting, we believed that we could pull it off with everything for a hundred hundred grand if we were given the land, or it would be cheaper if if the council had a shed that we could fix up and start from there. I have a builder on board that is happy to come in and donate his time along with some of his friends. So. Do you, you've got to share who who it is, or can you share who, who uh, it is? David Curtin. Okay. Is the he David started this um, habit for humane or humane for habitat or something for people that um, can't afford to build their own homes, and he was building uh, reasonable homes at a reasonable price, and um, so he's come on board and he's very happy to help. So we're fortunate there that it isn't going to cost us as much as we first thought. Again, it never ceases to surprise me, you know, how giving this community is. It is. Um, and, you know, the fact that we've still got homeless people is is just a sad indictment of the, the, the times that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so you've, you've got that going and you also have... Another project going as well, you were saying? Yes. Um, I, I'm in contact at the moment with um, a Denny who is going to, wants to put together a YMCA or a, for, for youth. And um, he works over at the Edmund Rice Centre with the students there. And he said it would be a fantastic project to get it up and going. He tried to do it a couple of years ago, but it didn't work. He didn't get help from... The, the council or government or anywhere but um, I've spoken to him I've spoken to Lou O'Brien and I've spoken to Tony Perrett and we are going to get together and we are going to make this work because there isn't a lot in town for the youth yes there's the new hub but that is not it doesn't fit everybody's criteria so we're looking at um, you know game tables and things like that and different things where these kids if they have a problem if they need to just get away it's going to be there for them because there's a lot of youth that has issues in this town that need somewhere to go 
What do you put that down to that we've got such a high problem with our with our youth in town? I just don't think there's enough here to keep them occupied from where I sit and from where I look. There's you know, they don't go to the cinemas nowadays. They don't there's so many things they don't do and they just want to hang out um, from all the talks that I've had with the kids. They just want to hang out somewhere. Like this this gentleman that I'm with, Denny, he is a boxing trainer. And the kids would love to go and just box, get out their anger, do whatever. So I mean he would he is going to be a great asset to get this help this up and running he told me that he had had a problem upbringing had a good upbringing but he had issues once he turned 15 there was nothing for him to do nowhere to go and so he remembers what it was like when he was growing up and he doesn't want our youth to do what he did because we all not all of us but uh, some people tend to go down the wrong track when we get off the wrong track so that's what he wants to help. What drives you to do these things? Um, first of all, my family to give me the approval to do what I do. <laughs> Long-suffering <laughs> husband. <laughs> yes. Um, we do own a business and, yes, I have. I do a little bit of input there, but um, I do the paperwork. That's enough for me to do. But then I, I enjoy it, Mark. I love to see smiles on people's face for when you've achieved something and and you know you are helping um it's it's just rewarding to watch those smiles come on everybody's face when oh wow look at that we can do it you're a local gimpy girl i am married a local gimpy guy tell us how you've seen the area change over your time and your lifetime um sadly i I don't think that some of the changes have been not for the best, some for the good. Tell us about those. The, um, the, the thing that I see now that I don't like is this technology. Um, I know we've got to have technology, I fully understand that, but children are glued to their iPads or their phones or you go out to a restaurant and you'll sit next to a table and there's three or four people there having tea and here they're all or one of them's on their phone um, I hate that technology Mark why can't we go out for, for tea and your phone stays in the car I mean we've lost that where we interact with one another it's on the phone or on the internet or somewhere else <laughs> is this where the, the YMCA the youth the youth the area is that where that comes in yes 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 we want to give them back normal lives is it though trying to fight change because I remember when mobile phones first came in and when you had uh, a mobile phone and you were a, a yuppie to have a mobile phone and now look everybody's got one as you say smartphone everyone's got them at the restaurants or wherever you know like so when the car came out everyone sort of said you've got to stay with the horse yes <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you're right there Mark um, but when I was growing up we played sports. We played any sport and every sport. Today, no. It's And sport has become expensive to play for families. I, I know that. But my, my childhood, when I grew up, it was... I was outside. On the swings, down the park, at the pool, 
playing so- hockey, playing softball. We used to, I used to play basketball, softball, hockey, indoor cricket. I had a go at anything, football. Um, and that's just how I feel that we have lost. Um, children just don't get outside. And these rules that have been, that have come in with the governments um, in regards to swings and that not allowed at school anymore. You can't climb a tree. You can't do this. I mean, heavens to Betsy, give us back some normality. The nanny state mentality. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we fight that then? I'm not sure, Mark. You might be able to help me there. (laughs) But are you moving towards trying to do something about it with what you're doing? Oh, yes, most definitely. Yeah, we want... um, When we spoke about it the other day, Denny and I, we want the mobile phones to go in a basket at the front door or in a locker um, and put that technology away. Let's get back to playing cards. Let's get back to games. Let's get back to um, playing... um, Softball, netball, basketball, everything. He would like to bring in all these things. Have you spoken to the kids and seen what or gotten their um, their, their take on all of this? Oh yes, yes. Um, I was to go to the to the school yesterday, the Edmund Rice School, and have a chat with him and some of the students. Um, but sadly, I didn't get there. I had a something else I had to do. But. Um, when he spoke to me yesterday afternoon, Danny, he said to me that he had 25 kids that he had spoken to in regards to what they would like, what they would like to achieve out of something like this. And some of their answers was were incredible. Just a place to, to hang out, just a place to, if you're angry and there's a boxing bag there, give it a flogging instead of going out and flogging somebody else. Is that what they're doing though with social media and that sort of thing and that they're hanging out as you say and it'll 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 encourage more FaceTime or face to face contact. Face to face contact is what we're looking at more than anything. Um look I I believe problems have escalated since the mobile phones have come in. Um you know depression is huge in in school bullying and the amount of bullying that goes on is beyond a joke. And you can do it quite easily on a phone, on the on the internet. Um, you know, we want to try and stop that and get the kids out there and get them communicating again with one another. The bullying you talked about, have you seen any of this firsthand? Yes. Tell us about that. Oh, I was bullied as a kid at school because I wore glasses. So I was four eyes, googly eyes, you name it. I had all those, you know. Um... I have also witnessed the young Benton boy, um, how he was bullied and tried to commit suicide himself. Uh, I also have had other friends whose children have been in that position and it's, it's not a nice place to go because as a parent, you're hopeless. You, you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You just... It's hopeless. It's very sad. It's a horrible place to be in. Is that what's driving you to build this youth precinct, as it were? Uh, It is helping, yes, it definitely is, because of there is more and more bullying going on in schools every day. Um, I mean, yes, bullying was around when we were growing up, but not to the extent that it is today. And, And I personally believe that we've lost or where we all used to once upon a time hang out down the street or go and have a game of 
a game of sport of some description. Uh, we used to have card nights. We used to have all those sorts of things. Nowadays, what's that? So that's what we would like to bring back to the youth. Get back to the uh, the homeless people in Gympie because you say you've heard some pretty terrible stories. They must really uh, motivate you. Tell us what sort of things that you've heard that would bring you to want to build a shed to put something together for the homeless? Uh, one gentleman in particular, um, he, he was an IT specialist. He lived in Harvey Bay. He was a married man with two children. Um, he used to work long hours and one, one afternoon after work, um, it was about 6.30, he went home and when he pulled up in the driveway, he could see clothes out in the yard and he went, it walked up their steps and went to open the door and he couldn't open the door. He put the key in and it wouldn't work. Um, and so he knocked on the door and his wife opened the, do the door and said to him, um, I'm sorry, I don't love you anymore. Your clothes are out there, you'll have to leave and slammed the door in his face. And that gentleman, could you imagine how that would feel if you'd got home from work, you'd had a hard day at work, um, you walked in and you've had your door slammed in your face and he got in the car and drove as far as he, he got to Gympie and he, run, was running, he was running low on fuel. He didn't know where he was going, what he was doing. Um, he went to the service station, the 24 hour out at Caltex and he filled up his car and went in to pay for it and his credit card had wouldn't work. He didn't have any money, he had nothing. So then police were called, um, he spent the night in jail uh, and then the next day they informed him that they, if he wanted to feed he could go down to the, to the six mile where we feed them or down to the park and at least he'd get a meal. And um, it took that man about four days to open up to what he had gone through. Um, still today, he is still he is still on the streets. I think some people don't understand that when something like this happens to you, and you've lost your you lost your family, you've lost your your money, your income, you've lost everything. Um, to get together the money they have to to get a unit, a house, anything, is extremely difficult when you've got nothing. So. I mean, his story, it just hits home that that this these things go on and when you don't, you know, you, you think, you hear it. But then when you're sitting there and it's real and they're telling you their story, it's pretty heart-wrenching. So it's a step up to get them back into where they originally were, a lot of them, and, and just fell on circumstances that they couldn't have predicted. Exactly. Mark, he had no idea... And he said there was nothing that would have ever, he'd ever known before that day that anything was wrong. And he still hasn't seen his children since. And, um, you know, I've, I've offered him my phone on many occasions to ring, but his wife just hangs up as soon as she hears his voice. And so, and this gentleman still has not seen his children and that's nine months. Uh, he's tried, he's gone to court. And because he's got no home, he's on the street, he can't have the children, he can't even see the children because there's nowhere to take them. What percentage of the population is homeless in, say, Wide Bay, Kalula, Gympie area? 
Now that's a hard one. We've we've tried extremely hard to work that out. Um, to in our meetings, a person that is um, couch surfing, and there is a lot of couch surfers around, they're homeless. They might go from house to house on their friends, staying on their couches for the night, but they're they're deemed homeless. We have a large population in the Wide Bay areas um, of homelessness. The figures, I cannot remember what the figures were, but it was quite large. More than you'd you'd think to just driving around the streets. Yes. Because you really don't see people on the streets at night. You don't, uh, it's not something that stands out anyway. They're, they're obviously hidden in the shadows for want of a better expression. Yes, that's that's correct, Mark. They, they are. Um, because I know them when I see them in the street, um, they look just like you and I. Uh, and I can walk past them in the street and but I don't usually walk past them. I'll always say, do you want to have a coffee? And so we, we usually end up sitting and having a coffee. But you wouldn't know that they were homeless, and I certainly wouldn't say to you, oh, come and meet my homeless friend. But, um, you know, they still walk the streets, just like you and I. They have lots of... There's lots of places where they sleep of a night time here in Gympie. I know of quite a number of places where they hang out. How do they treat you as uh, a worker that's working to help them? Oh, they're ever so grateful. Um, look, I haven't been there with this COVID virus. Uh, I have not been there. I've had other people stand in and do it for me. Uh, but there isn't a week that doesn't go by that one of them has, the, one of the people that I have had doing my shifts um, ring me and say, oh, so-and-so wanted to know how you're going. And um, look, they're marvellous. They're absolutely marvellous. I've also had a few of them come over and, and do my gardening um, just to give them some money. You know, I pay them when they, as much as they don't want to take the money, I refuse to not let them take it because they're doing me a favour and doing me a job, so I'll pay you. And they say, but you feed me. Yeah, but what I feed you is not what the money that will cover what you've done for me. So, yes, I do have them come to my place and do my gardening and um, treat them like no one different. And it's obviously a great help to you because you've had your own health issues. Yes. Can you share what you've been through? Because you've been through quite a... You've been through the ringer, let's put it that way. (laughs) I have, Mark. But look, there's always someone else worse off than me in the world. But I have had what they call phrenic nerve palsy and I've lost my lung and my diaphragm on my left-hand side. And um, so, yes, I can't do the things I used to do. Breathing's a little bit harder than normal. So, hence, I've been locked up in home because of the COVID virus. Is it something that you you are quite worried about or just a precaution? Just um, the specialist told me I had to go home and stay home and... For once in my life, I listened. (laughs) (laughs) Is that slowing you down at all as far as your your community work? Um, It has, yes, and I hate it, being locked up at home as such. But then while I was locked up, I decided to break an ankle because I stood in a hole while pulling trees and chopping trees down. And um, so, yeah, that slowed me down. But I'm still constantly on the phone to my... Because I also have a support group. With, for cancer patients we meet the first Monday of every month 
And um, so hence that's been on hold with this COVID virus and they're all missing it. Um, I can have anything from 30 to 60 people at a support group meeting. They've all gone through cancer in one way, shape or form. So I have missed that immensely, not to see their beautiful faces and have laughs and whatever with them. And, you know, it's going to be different when we get back. I, I do believe it will be August before we can do it. They're all struggling, but I still communicate through the phone with them. Um, and, you know, if some of them have needed things, I've arranged for other volunteers to do it for because I couldn't do it. But, um, yeah. With all the work that, they, that you've done for others, did you ever sit down and was it ever a why me? No, never. No, I'm not that sort of a person, Mark. I, what life throws at you, they throw at you. Take it in the stride. Could you also use it as a uh, motivator to redouble your efforts to make sure you leave a mark as you already have done? Oh, yes, most definitely. Um, yeah, like people say, oh, why, do, why don't you slow down? Why do I want to slow down? I'll slow down when I'm gone. <laughs> I'll have all the sleep I get when I'm gone. So, yeah, no, I just like to do what I like to do. Is there retirement when... when when um, your, your long-suffering husband decides to retire, is it something that, uh, or you, will you pull him into the uh, <laughs> into the fold? Well, he is the president of SCIC, um, so yeah, he is involved as well. Um, but yeah, I've got no no chance of retiring. Um, and I say long-suffering in the nicest possible way. <laughs> <laughs> You're right there. <laughs> and I, the other night when I said to him, now, if Mark asks me a question like, what is there that people don't know about you? His answer to that was, oh, you don't know what people are like until you live with them behind closed doors? Um, you're a bitch. You're a... <laughs> <laughs> you're a control freak, you're a boss, you're a this, you're a... So, um, you know, then he laughed and he said, uh, no, I'd rather you stay the way you are. So, you know, he knows I enjoy doing what I'm doing, so he just lets me go. So what is there that people don't know about you? Because you are very much out in the community. What is it that people don't know about you that... There's only one thing in life I am frightened of, Mark, and I will share it with you, and I know you're going to get a laugh, but uh, I am petrified of grasshoppers. So <laughs> if you want me to be seen and not heard, just bring out a grasshopper. It's funny, you know, I've been married to Mary for quite a while, and, and I only found out the other day how petrified she is of spiders. Oh. She had a big one in the car, drive up her arm, uh, walk up her arm, and um, while she was driving, and it was calamity. She got home, and and it was such, it was unbelievable. Um, I just d didn't believe that she could get so phobic. I know where she's coming from there because many years ago uh, we used to own a two-door green falcon, and we um, our driveway was a little bit steep. So uh, I had the two eldest children at the time. Craig would have been about three and Wayne was only a baby. And I was reversing out of our driveway in our car and you know, I turned my head to see where I'm going 
And just out of the corner of my eye, I could see something on the steering wheel as I'm going through that. It was a narrow driveway with gates. And um, as I've turned back, here's a grasshopper sitting on the steering <laughs> wheel. Without a word of a lie, Mark, I out of that car and I run up the road and the car went across the road into the um, lamppost across the road. Too bad about the kids sitting in there because <laughs> I was gone. Um, and thank heavens the car come to rest on a lamppost and not the house across the road. And I remember, I, I do remember the neighbours yelling at me, uh, but I was gone. Uh, I've never run so fast in my life up that road. And <laughs> yes, they rang Gordon to say, I don't know what's wrong with Marlene, but the car's <laughs> on the lamppost. So <laughs> that's not so nice when you jump out of a car with your kids in it. And Do they remember? No, they were too little. Just as well. Yeah, <laughs> They'd that's still right. be in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, so me and grasshoppers, it's a definite no. What are you most proud of? Um, I'm proud of the achievements that we've made um, with the units and um, I also do drought aid runs to Longreach, um, Ilfracun, all those areas up north um, that to see um, and, and understand the hardships up there is is extremely rewarding when you get the phone calls and you say, or I ring to say, we're heading your way. Um, this, the whole family will come when they know you're, they won't go out working in the paddock that day. They'll wait for you to come. They'll have a cake made. They will be dressed up and waiting for you. That is so rewarding to see those faces on those poor farmers out. So it's another thing that you're raising money for? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so how are you raising money? How do you raise money apart from the fact that you've, you um, are heavily involved in the chemotherapy balls and, and you're selling raffle tickets? Melbourne Cups. And also, is there anything else that you've, um, that you've got that you're, you're raising money through to fund these causes that you support? No, it's, it's usually, it, it was, I was always in the streets doing raffles. That was where um, the biggest majority of our money come from our gala balls, as you're aware of, but the raffles down the street, no one walks past you. It's very, it's a, it's a not so good day if anybody walks past you and not gives you a dollar or two dollars to buy a raffle ticket when they know you're um, uh, trying to collect enough money together to get something happening, they're extremely generous. Um, so yes. We, as I say, we've done the gala balls is, is our u huge spinner. We should have had our gala ball this year, but sadly, with this COVID virus, it's like other things. Not put back to next year. It's normally every two years. Every two years, yes. And put back to next year. Yes, Mark. Next year, July the twenty third next year. With all the fundraising that you're doing, is there are there people that you need to mention that should be mentioned that um, are, are big influencers and contributors to what you're doing? Oh, Mark, that list is huge. Um, like I said before, Hatondo Homes were fantastic and how they came on board and what they'd done and got all their suppliers together. I, to name them would be oh, huge. Um, like our gala balls, Mark, every... Every year, every second year when we have our gala ball, this community is so generous. The stuff that businesses 
and I couldn't name just one business, but the majority of businesses in the community that give to us for that gala ball is amazing. The reason why we only do our ball every two years is because it is a huge um, ask on the community to donate, let alone come and support you. So we, because there's lots of other organisations like ourselves out there trying to fundraise, um, we we choose not to be, well, not, not, for a better word, greedy, because there's a lot of organisations that want help, not just ours. Um, but the list oh, is enormous. Like our patron, as I said, our patron, Dulcie and Rondine, um, they were always there for us. They were, and, and Dulcie still is our patron today. And she is a huge asset to SCIC. Our mayor is also our mayor, Glenn Hartwig. He is on our committee. He's been a huge um, asset to us because sadly he has been on that journey. He lost his wife at 28 years of age to cancer and he had two small children. So he knew, he knows firsthand um, what this, what things like ours with supporting chemo and Kalula, what benefits there is to having something like that. Well, he must have a lot of empathy. He does. For, for what's going on. Oh, he certainly does. And also you have runs on the board. So when you are looking for, say, council land or um, suppliers or builders or when you're fundraising, you've now got runs on the board and that must make it easier. It does make it a lot easier um, because, of, you know, I, I know we can achieve it. I know that I, along with a lot of others, we can do it. And um, so I'm not backward in coming forward when I know what it's in, what it involves and who I have to see because they know that I'm prepared to put those long hours and miles into doing whatever I put my hand to do. And only on Friday did our mayor ring me uh, and say, this project with the YMCA, you're up for it, aren't you? <laughs> So, so he approached you. So oh, yes. That, that's a bit of a turnaround that you're now getting approached by council as opposed to you chasing council for a little bit of help. How does that make you feel? Yeah. <laughs> um, look, Glenn knows that if I put my mind to something or I'm asked to do something, sometimes I try and run for the hills, but it doesn't work. So, you know, he not, his words to me on Friday were, Oh, I'm sorry I've done this, but I've brought your name up because I know you will do it because you're an achiever. I said, oh, thanks, Glenn. <laughs> he said, well, you know, I know you're happy to give a hand. Trouble is, he, oh, he doesn't only want a hand, he wants many hands. But I'm there for the long run, so. And you're getting other people involved? Oh, yes, yes, yep. Are you going to name names or are they going to be the faceless men in the background? Be, 99% <laughs> of them will be faceless in the background. They don't like to, yeah, they just don't like to come out. But they, you're looking at one here today that does so much behind the scenes that um, she's an asset and a treasure. So I would, don't know where I'd be without her. So. Um. <laughs> but it, it, it's just interesting though that these people that are doing so much for so many don't want um, recognition oh no you don't do it's it it's like you, you, you're, um, you, you're, you're 
honours award, the Australia Day honours award. It's something that is very deserving that they struggle with. I struggle immensely with it, Mark. I just, um, oh, look, I've been I've been nominated for many things over the years, and I refuse them. Um, but I've I have had a few people have a go at me for refusing. They have put in effort to do this, and I've refused it. But that's not what I do it for. I just do it because I can do it, Mark, and because I like to do it, so I do it. I don't do it for any recognition. I'm not. That's not me. I get extremely embarrassed when somebody nominates you for something because because you want to do it. You know, you wouldn't do it if you didn't want to do it, would you? Oh, absolutely. Mm. It's one of those things, though, that a more deserving person I, I couldn't think of to to receive that sort of um, award or uh, recognition, I suppose. Is, are there things that you'd still like to put together? Yes, Mark, no doubt there will be down the track. Um, first of all, I'll, I'll get this homeless um, shelter up and running and the YMCA, and then who knows where from there. Whatever they'll throw at me, as long as i am got two feet on the ground and still got a heartbeat, I'll do it. Well, thank you for joining us and sharing a little bit of your story on Over the Bonnet. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Merrimark Medical. Merrimark Medical is your local medical practice in Gympie, specialising in quality family medical care, from acute medical issues to management of long-term chronic conditions. When you need to get well, even if you have complex health problems, get the right diagnosis with Merrimark Medical. Contact Merrimark Medical in Gympie on 54811873 or find them at 18 Young Street. The podcast is also brought to you by Gimpy Foam and Rubber, your local store that specialises in foam cut to size. They've got all sorts of good stuff like upholstery and craft foam or even loose fitting foam. The shop is packed with things like mattresses and pillows. They'll help you get down and dirty with rubber flooring and mats, anti-fatigue matting and they have industrial mats and rubber. If they don't have it, they'll get it. Plus, for Over the Bonnet listeners, mention the show and ask for your discount and you'll receive 10% off the marked price. That's only for Over the Bonnet listeners when you mention the show and ask for your discount. And finally, the show is brought to you by NICAD Earth Moving that specialises in roadworks, house pads, site cleanups, land clearing, dam construction and even dewatering and swamp drainage. They have a 140H grader, which is big. Their PosiTrack Bobcat is also huge. There's three excavators for hire, including a 20-ton, 8-ton and 2.5-ton. Plus, they provide a site truck hire and have rollers and a water truck. So contact Carl Dakin at NICAD Earth Moving on 0488 Well, the earth moved for me.